Hey, good morning. My name is Matt Davis. Uh, Pastor Dave still has shingles, so we're at it again this week. Um, and so he's, he's still uh, in recovery mode, and so we want to lift him up and keep him in prayer. I talked to him on Friday, and uh, a couple of you <laughs> last week after the service said, does Pastor Dave believe everything that you're saying? And I said, I sure hope so. So I thought maybe I'd give him a call. We run through a few things. So we're on the same page. Just want you to know everything is okay. And he also added in, um, anything that you mess up, I'll fix when I get back. So I feel a little freedom to say whatever I want this morning. Um, well, we are, last week we, we were in Rev, uh, Revelation, Romans chapter 9. Romans is hard enough. We don't need to go to Revelation this morning. We're going to jump uh, to Romans 11 this morning. Don't worry, we're going to come back and hit 10 next week. But we want to we jump into this and we want to talk about what, what is God doing? Does God have a plan in all of this? Um, this is some meaty stuff. We're going to, we're going to jump in and, and I believe that God is going to show himself faithful through this. And there is something to get. This is some deep theology. Uh, and at the end, we're going to be able to worship and glorify our great God. There is an outline in the bulletin that you received when you came in. So if you want to pull that out, there'll be uh, some kind of roadmap on where we're going this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about the insiders and the outsiders. Who is in and who is out and how all of that may have transferred and where is God's heart towards the Jewish people towards Israel today? I want to answer the question, is God done with Israel? Oh, all right, we're done. Let's close in prayer. You got it. That made it really easy for me. Thank you. I want to start off with this. There's a man who had two sons. His younger son approached him and said, Father, all that you have stored up for me as my inheritance, I would like you to give to me now. The father, seeing that this is what his son wanted, gives his son his inheritance. The son moves out of the house and he goes and he spends his father's inheritance on reckless and wild living. So much so that he spends it all, no more friends, and he finds himself in a pretty dark place, hungry, even wanting to eat the food that he's feeding to the pigs. This actually leaves a room open in the father's house. So the father puts out word, there's an open room, and invites somebody to come. Somebody shows up, Heard about the room, like to get in. The father invites him in and adopts him into his family, receives all the inheritance and the rights of being a son in this family, is now in the room of the younger son who has now gone. The younger son hears what the father has done and is provoked to jealousy says, wait, that is my room, that is my father, I want back in. 
Now, I've adjusted the story that you've probably heard from Luke chapter 15, story of two sons. Wouldn't it be amazing if that younger son comes back, he's provoked to jealousy, and now the two sons are three, and they have bunk beds. <laughs> this is a simplification of what is going on and the story of the insiders and outsiders. The, this idea that the Jewish people have always been God's people. They were the insiders. They were chosen way back in the Old Testament that you will be my people, a royal priesthood, that you will shine my light to the nations. But there was a hardness. There was a disobedience that took place in the Jewish people. And I picture this party where you have all the insiders in the party and the insiders walk out the door and leave it wide open. They've left the party, but the door was open so that the outsiders could now come in. This is the picture of the Jewish rebellion, stubbornness, stiff-necked people they were called in the Bible and still very much are. And because of that, God has brought salvation to the Gentiles. And the question that Paul wants to deal with this morning is, have they left the party and are they never allowed to come back in? So we're in Romans 11, but I actually want to back it up one verse. In chapter 10, verse 21, it says, But as for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the heart of God. Stretch out my hands. I, I picture, and when I read that, that was, that was the picture for me was the father of the prodigal son. Wanting his son to come back, stretching his arms out, please don't do this. But there's a rebellion. In all of this, God has a plan. I want you to know, God has a plan. And we look at our own lives of salvation, and sometimes we think, it's all about me and God's plan for me. I, I hope today we expand and step back a little bit and get a picture of the forest and not so much the trees that God is up to something in this world, and God's plan includes the Jewish people. In Romans 11, Paul says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. God forbid. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. This is from 1 Kings 19. And Elijah is on the run. Jezebel says, man, if, if you're still alive 24 hours from now, we're in trouble. She's going after him, and Elijah says, I am the only one left. But the divine response in verse 4, I have kept for myself 7,000 men 
who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. God has always kept for himself a remnant. Now you see that Paul, at the time that he's writing this, he's saying, I am part of this remnant. Paul is a Jew who believes in Jesus. He has a story to tell of what God has done in his life. And he says, I am an Israelite. I am a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. That's from the New Testament. From the Old Testament, Paul brings up the example of Elijah. Elijah said, I am the only one, a remnant of one. And God says, no, 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 it's 7,001. And even today, there is a remnant. It's amazing to read this and to look at my own family tree and to realize I'm part of this remnant. That God has stepped in into the Davis family. On my father's side, I'm a third generation Jewish believer. Now, it, it didn't happen on my mother's side. Because not all Israel is Israel. Just because you were born Jewish does not mean that you were saved. So this remnant, according to verse 5, is according to God's gracious choice. God's election of grace. It says, in the same way then, there has also come to be at this present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. This idea of election. Some might use the word Calvinism and Arminianism, and it got me in a little bit of trouble last week. And instead of backing off, I want to get into some more trouble. You ready? <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. And I want to, as a precursor, I want to say this. I love it if you disagree with me. If that pushes you to do your own study and to dig into the word deeper to prove me wrong, awesome. That's what we're supposed to be about, right? Now, whether you believe that you have something to do with your salvation or it's all about God, whatever camp you are in, I believe we can still be brothers and sisters, right? That we can still agree that we're going to see each other in heaven and then we'll get, someone's going to say, I told you so. I just happen to think it's going to be me. All right. I'm getting in trouble. Dave will fix this later. Don't worry. I, I want to I show you a couple of passages. And I, I want to give you this side. And I also, I'll, I'll show you on the other side of things where some of this comes. Because I, I understand, and it's hard, because we want to defend God. We want to say, it can't be like this. But let's do this. A couple of passages. Ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So it's just a few pages to your right. And I'll start in verse 26. It says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. Do you see that? Who does the choosing? God. God does the choosing. Now, let's apply this. Why 
so that no man may boast before God. If it's about me and what I do, then I can boast. God is the one, God is the one who has done the choosing so that no man can boast. And it says, but by his doing, he is the source. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. It's from him, it's not from you. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You, you ask the question, why election? Why would God do this? It is to shut our mouths so that we don't boast. And it is to open our mouths to praise God for what he has done. That is the system that God has set up. Now, you can look at the book of John. And I started looking through some of these passages a little bit earlier um, this week. And... What I'm going to need to do is just reread John because John is profoundly simple, and if you understand what he's doing and what he's saying, he's profoundly deep. I want to just walk you through a couple passages real quick because then we've got to get back to Romans. But in John 17, verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name. Remember, this is the high priestly prayer. This is, at, it, this is we're, we're going to look at a couple passages, but this one is. It's in this Passover meal that he's praying to the Father. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. And I'm reading still in 7. Now they have come to know everything that you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them... And they have received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. God has chosen them and has given them to his son, Jesus. Look in John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. And John 10. Jesus answered them and he said, I I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I think that we have it backwards. I think that there's this idea that I have to believe to become a sheep. Right? I have to believe. If I can believe, then I will become a sheep. But the reason that you don't believe is because you are not a sheep. Do you see that? You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. God's election. If you back it up to verse 16, John 10, he says, I have other sheep 
which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. I want you to remember that later when we talk about a tree and being grafted in. There's not two trees. There's one tree, one flock, one shepherd. I have other sheep. David Livingston, he's a a missionary from way back. He's buried in Westminster Abbey. He went out to Africa and was trying to evangelize the people there. On his tombstone in Westminster Abbey, it reads, I have other sheep. It's, it's not that God is elected and so there's nothing for us to do. What's going to be is going to be, but we have to take this message to the elect so that they might know. It's, a, it's an amazing story, but a great story also comes from a guy named Peter Cameron Scott, the founder of AIM, African Inland Mission. He came after he was born in 19, or 1867, after David Livingston, and he felt the calling of God to go out to Africa and to spread the word of God out there. And when he went out, he got fever, he got malaria, and he had to come back and, and to be treated. He was very discouraged. He recovered, and he went out again, and he brought his brother with him, and even more encouraged, and they were doing this together. His brother gets malaria and dies. And then he gets sick again. And he comes back, and now he's recovering. And he goes to Westminster Abbey after he's been healed. He sees on the tombstone of David Livingston, I have other sheep. And he's renewed with passion and goes back. And today we have missionaries at Calvary Church who serve with AIM. It's this, it's this idea that there are other sheep and that God is calling us. This... This idea of election does not negate the fact that we need to go out there and still get the word out there. So not everybody has been selected to be part of the elected. Now if you look here, going back to Romans, chapter 11. What then? What Israel is seeking it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. It translates sleep. Eyes to see and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. And a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and their backs and bend their backs forever. David is talking about, gave me sour wine and gall for my food. It says, because of this. Because of the rejection of the Messiah, there's a hardening that took place. So what Israel is seeking is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. Ryrie, in a great book, survey of Bible doctrine, very simple, he says this. Let us put it this way. There are unsaved elect people alive today who, though elect are now lost and will not be saved until they believe. Come back next week. We're going to talk about there is something for us to do. We have to believe. If you confess with your mouth. 
I don't know if this is helpful, but this is helpful for me. I made a chart. God, before time, in his foreknowledge, he looks out over all history. In the blue, you see the sea of humanity. Out of humanity, God has called a population. He is selected. It's his elect, the children of God. And that is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, purposely, the elect is smaller than the huge sea of humanity because we know that the road is narrow that leads to eternal life. But there's also this remnant of Jews among the elect. And there are also some Jews who are not among the elect. There are Gentiles who are among the elect and there are Gentiles who are not. Ephesians 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That God looked out. Now, what I believe is that God looked out and he chose those that would be part of his kingdom. Now, on the Arminian side, say that God looked out and he saw those who would already believe and chose them. Now, we look at a couple of passages like 1 Timothy 2. It says, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving may be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. You look at that and you say, doesn't God want everybody to be saved? How can he have an elect and then there are some who are not saved? There are some who come to the knowledge of truth and there are some who don't. And then in 2 Timothy, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. Who does the granting? God. God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. See, God is the one that does that. Another very popular passage. Don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And here I think we have to divide the desire of God's heart that all might be saved and the will of God that not everybody's going to be saved. That is in a nutshell. We could spend weeks on this. Um, Five points of Calvinism, referred to as TULIP, Total Depravity and Conditional Election. I want to give you, and there's a resource, and we we launched right now media. There's more than 1,100 folks that have actually signed in and have been using it. It's been fantastic. But I want to point you, John Piper has one on there. It's hours and hours, and I think that he's right on, especially when it comes to unconditional election. And I just encourage you to go in there, search box TULIP. In fact, it's actually on the front page. We put it there this week. And you can check out hours and hours of video if this is of interest to you. i got to keep going. Back to Romans 11. Ready? So God has a plan and it includes the Jewish people, but His plan also includes the Gentiles. I'm in verse 11. I've got to run. Here we go. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. 
God forbid. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? When they come back in, how great of a party will that be? Verse 13, But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world... What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Gentiles have been brought in as children of God, as part of the elect, to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. This is your job, church, is to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. taken from Deuteronomy 32. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I'm going to take the insiders or the outsiders and I'm going to invite them in. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. This is our job as we are supposed to be provoking the Jewish people to jealousy. Their judgment, this hardening, is not total because God keeps a remnant. And it's also not final because there's going to come a day when they will be grafted back in. In verse 19, it says, You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. We are saved by faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. Why? For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? We get a picture here from Paul of a cultivated, beautiful tree in the garden, right? And somebody's caring for it, fertilizing and the natural branches, the Jewish people were cut off. They had no faith. They got stuck in the law. And remember, they didn't find Jesus along the way. They found him in the way. So they rejected him. And so they were cut off. 
the invitation comes out to the Gentiles that you are now grafted in. But those who are grafted in, don't start getting conceited and arrogant that you are in and they are out. It's we're in, you're out, you can't come back in. It says, hold on. Number one, you can be cut off also. Number two, he can bring them back in. Now, this, I don't think that this has, I don't think we're talking about eternal security here. I believe if you're cut off, then you're not part of the elect. Now, we actually have a, a guy here, Brandon Elrod, who's an arborist. So we sat down and we talked about trees and grafting. And I wanted to understand this better. And, and I think that this picture is really helpful for me. That when you are grafting a tree, you want to take a tree and... You cut off a branch, and he says, that, that little branch, that piece that you're going to graft in is called the scion, like the car. You take that scion, and you want to care for it. You want to treat it kindly. You want, to, you want it to be in the best shape possible so that when you take it and you graft it into another tree that's already existing, that it has its best possibility of surviving and taking the graft and growing and producing fruit. So when we first started talking about it, we started going down this rabbit trail of, so God, when he cut Israel off, he did that to take care of them and so he could bring them back in later. That's kind of a beautiful picture. It sounds good and makes sense. But really the picture is we break off branches that are dead. And only God can take a dead branch that's been trampled underfoot and left on the ground only God can take that branch and bring it in. And it says, you, the Gentiles, you were a wild one. You were out there like nobody caring or tending. You were dependent on the rain. And God grafted you. If he could take you a wild olive shoot and take you and put you into a cultivated olive tree, how much more is God able to take a branch and put it back into the original tree? God knows all about this idea, this concept of grafting, and nothing is impossible for him. And if God can do that, imagine the party when inside the party you have the insiders and the outsiders. God is not done with the Jewish people. His hardening of Israel is not total, and it's not final. Verse 25, it says this. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We are living in the time of the Gentiles right now. The fullness of the Gentiles is not complete. I have other sheep. There are other sheep that need to hear about God. So after this, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then so all Israel will be saved. I don't believe that this is saying all of Israel in the respect of the elect and the unelect, but all that God has chosen to be part of his elect, all them will be saved there will come a point where they will realize 
who Jesus is. Zechariah 12. They will mourn because they realize that they rejected the very Savior who came for them. All Israel will be saved. The deliverer will, deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Why? Because this is his covenant with them that he will take away their sins. This is God's covenant. He wants to take away the ungodliness from Jacob, from Israel. From the standpoint of the gospel in verse 28, they are enemies for your sake. And it's true. I've gone to New York and we've handed out tracks and water bottles to the Jewish people in New York. And whenever they hear that there's some kind of missions going out there, there are people called anti-missionaries. Jews who will stand, we will stand on the street corners of Manhattan, handing out tracks, talking about Got Messiah. They're kind of cheesy, but we hand those out and there will be anti-missionaries who will set up a table right in front of us and say why what we are saying is incorrect. It's amazing. I've been part of it and it's been heated and it's been fun. (laughs) But it says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were once disobedient, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience... So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they may also now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. The wild olive branch was shown mercy. In their disobedience, they were shown mercy. And Israel, hardened, will be shown mercy. God wants to show mercy to his elect. I'm going to skip that. This is it. This is God's plan. It is for the Jew and it is for the Gentile, but you have to look at this through a Jewish context because that's Paul's context and he's looking at this even through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. As we finish chapter 11 and this summer we'll be jumping in to chapters 12 through 16 you take all of this theology and you have to look at God and you have to worship and we sang this song before we started and this is in verse 33 it says oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways that word unfathomable, it's, it's you can follow the footsteps of God and then they disappear because we just, we don't know. That his ways are not our ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has become, who, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen? In your bulletin today. There's a quarter sheet of paper. We're going to take communion here in a second. Calvary Church is known for having missionaries all over the world, and it's fantastic. We also have missionaries to the Jewish people. 
And especially in a passage like this today, I, I want to make sure that we are understanding that God's heart is for the Jewish people. Do not write off the Jewish people in your life because God's plan is that they might be saved. You know somebody who is Jewish who does not have a relationship with the Lord. On that piece of paper, I want to encourage you to first pray for that person. Write their name down and be in prayer because this is God's fulfillment. This is part of God's plan. But not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So you know people who are not Jewish, who don't know the Lord. I'd like you to write down some of those people's names and I want you to pray for them. And we're going to drop this later on. We're going to do an ENF offering, but we can drop it there. You can also drop it in the boxes in the back. Uh, we have 59 people, 57 people going to Israel in three weeks. We're going to take all of these prayers and we're going to bring them to the Western Wall and we'll stick them in the cracks of the wall. It's an awesome and beautiful place. Uh, it's, there's no special power or magic that happens at the Western Wall, but it is, it's holy ground and it's sacred. And so we're going to take those as, as the group that's going and we're going to be praying for them. And we're going to pray for these, these people by name as we go out. I want you to pray for those people. And you can follow us and go to our website, calvarylife.org slash Israel, I think, and you can follow us on the blog. But even just be praying that as we are going out and we are interacting with the Jewish people, that we would be lights. But God has a plan, and it includes the Jewish people, and it includes the Gentiles. Right now, we're going to take a moment, and we're going to remember. Remember our salvation and what Jesus did for us so that we might be saved. And we'll do that by taking the bread and the cup and we're going to worship right now. So let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you have a plan for us. God, I'm thankful you have a plan for me. That you reached out in my depravity and my sinfulness and that you called me to yourself and that I responded I affirm my belief in you this morning so we lift up those who are your sheep who don't know it yet and that we would be light and we thank you for our salvation we thank you for the death of your son Jesus as we go into this season of resurrection, that we remember what you have done for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.